Well, happy Easter. Good morning, everyone. I'm Pastor Allen. We're glad that you're here. And uh, met some new people today, and that's always fun. Before we get started with today, obviously being Easter, uh, and we're thankful that you've spent or taken the time, part of your Easter weekend, to spend with us. I want to tell you where we're going next week, all right? And so next week, we're going to start a series. We're going to talk about this for four weeks. And it's titled, Taking Responsibility for Your Life. So hopefully you can join us for that. We've got some cards to hand you after the service. You can take some to hand to other people. Uh, Really believe this will be a series that will be helpful to to everyone. So as I'm thinking about Easter, and I've been a Jesus follower for quite a while, uh, I, I I thought I would ask the question if I was in the place of some of you, and some of you aren't Jesus followers, and we're delighted that you're here. And so I'd ask you the question, what does it take to get you to believe something, anything? Does somebody have to show it to you? Uh, if it's somebody, a respected person, like a teacher, a professor, they tell you do you believe it if you read it in a book? Hopefully you don't believe everything you read online. Uh, that would be dangerous. Um, what actually causes you to believe something? Now, I can divide people up into two groups. There's one group that when they hear something, see something, read something, their first reaction is not to believe it, to be skeptical. And I don't know if that's half the people or whatever. The other group of people are those that read it and tend to believe it at first, unless they have a reason not to believe it. Now, I tend to be a skeptic. When I hear something, I tend not to believe it. And it drives my wife crazy (laughs) because she's the other way. And if you're married, maybe your spouse is the opposite way of you. But the other part of that is, when I hear something, I'm skeptical, but when I check it out, if I believe it's true, then I believe it. So I'm not close-minded. Give you an example. My neighbor Wally told me a while back that over half of adult Americans are single. I said, that can't be true. I mean, I know lots of people, and most people I know are single. Not, I know a lot of, I mean, are married. Most of them are married, but I know some single people, and not half the population. So I Googled it and checked it out. And he was right. 50 point some percent of adult Americans are single. Uh, I found it hard to believe, but when the statistics proved themselves true, I, you know, I said, okay, that's true. Um, Kierkegaard said this, and I thought this was interesting. He said that there's two ways to be fooled. One is to believe what isn't true. And we talked about that a couple weeks ago about wives' tales, and there's lots of things that we just grew up believing because our parents told us and their grandparents told us. And, uh, so we believed that even that wasn't true. The other is to refuse to believe what is true. And unfortunately, a lot of people, we're celebrating the greatest event in the history of the world this morning, and there's a lot of people that refuse to believe it. Now, I think everybody believes that Jesus was a historical figure. He lived. Uh, there's lots of proof that he lived, that he did good stuff help people, and he says a lot of good things, and so forth. So most people have this positive uh, idea about Jesus, but the problem is this. One of the things he said was, hey guys, I'm God. Now, if you heard me say that, you're all going to be skeptical, right? You don't look like God, you don't act like God, you, you're, you're not God. In fact, one of the amazing things is Jesus' brother, half-brother, of course, didn't believe he was God either until after the event we celebrate today, after the resurrection, he became a leader in the early church. So consequently, either he was lying, he knew he wasn't, <clears throat> he was crazy, he thought he was, but he really wasn't, 
or he really was, right? So it got me to thinking about something. How many Sherlock Holmes fans do we have out there? Oh, not very many. I used to read Sherlock Holmes books when I was a kid. Now you can watch movies and so forth. Uh, we're going to look at some, one of the most famous things he's attributed him saying. But how many Trekkies we have out there? We've got to have more Trekkies than that. Not too many Trekkers either. Wow. Anyway, but the, there's a tie-in between the two, and it's like the most famous thing that Sherlock Holmes said. And, I, and it made me think about Easter, so I'm going to let you watch a short clip, and then we'll talk about it. Okay, so I've got to think about Easter. All right, so first, did Jesus really die? Okay, well, the Romans were experts at crucifying people, right? They crucified hundreds of thousands of people. And when they got the time to take them off the cross, if they weren't dead, they did what? They broke their legs. Got to Jesus, they didn't break his legs because he was already dead. They were experts at crucifixion. So Jesus was dead. It's even foolish to even think he wasn't. Be impossible that he was, wasn't dead. So then if he's dead, then if the grave was, tomb was empty, then, the, then somebody stole him. Now again, who guarded the tomb? Roman soldiers. Who were Jesus' followers? Well, like fishermen and tax collectors. Now, what's the possibility of those guys stealing a body away from the Roman soldiers? Again, it's an impossibility. It's not going to happen. Add to that the fact that there were hundreds and hundreds of people that were eyewitnesses to the fact that this guy that literally died and was buried three days later was walking around. Now, I know it sounds improbable, right? But we have eliminated the impossible. So no matter how improbable it may see, it must be true. So I'm going to go with the assumption that it's true this morning. But that was 2,000 years ago, right? What difference does that make to me today? What difference does it make? Now, Jesus was hanging out about a year before, his, before this event. He was hanging out with his disciples, and he asked them a question. He said, who do people say I am? I'm just curious. And they had this really strange answer. They said, well, some people think you're John the Baptist, who had his head cut off. Some think you're Elijah or, some, or Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. I don't know, they must have believed in some kind of reincarnation or something. I don't know, but that was their response. And Jesus said, okay, who do you say I am? And Peter jumped in and he said, well, you're the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, you're right. He said, don't tell anybody <laughs> yet, but you're right. And then we're going to get to what I wanted to look at this morning. It was on the screen earlier at the beginning. Um, Jesus carries on this conversation with his disciples. He says, from then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly that it's necessary for him to go to Jerusalem. Now, they were in Caesarea Philippi, which is 
up in the north, north, and so Jerusalem was in the south, so they were headed south. And this was natural. They would assume that if he's going to be the Messiah, going to take over uh, religiously and politically uh, Judaism, um, then he'd have to go to Jerusalem. So that made sense to the disciples. Then he said, and he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders, the leader and priests, and the teachers of religious law. So it would be a power struggle probably for him to take over because these guys were, were, were the leaders then. So if Jesus was going to be the Messiah and take over, there would be a struggle. So that kind of made sense to them. But then Jesus said this. He said, I or he would be, he's talking about himself third person, he would be killed. Whoa, whoa, wait, wait, wait a minute. The Messiah doesn't get to get killed. And if you get killed, maybe we get killed and we want to be, you know, kind of in power after you, Jesus. So, no, 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 that, that can't be true. And then he says it's something really strange. He says, I bet on the third day I'm going to raise from the dead. Well, we saw that a Lazarus thing, but we think this is just not normal, Jesus. If you're dead, nobody's going to be around to, to raise you. So Peter responds. He jumps in again and responds. So here's what he says. Took him aside. Didn't do it in front of the other the group of the disciples. He said, and re- reprimanded him. This is always funny. Now, can you imagine? You're with Jesus, and you're going to tell Jesus, hey, I'm sorry, but you're wrong about this. Uh, I just want to straighten you out, you know. Uh, it's kind of funny in hindsight, but he thought he was doing what was right at the time. He said, heaven forbid, Lord. He said, this will never happen to you. It can't happen to you. You're the Messiah. And Jesus responds, obviously, to, to Peter and rebukes him. He says, get away from me. We would say, you devil. You're, you are a dangerous trap to me. I'm supposed to head to Jerusalem. You're trying to stop me. That's a trap. You're, you're trying to prohibit what I'm supposed to be doing. You are seeing things from a human point of view. Yeah, from your point of view, I sh- shouldn't die. I should take over. But that's not what I came to do. That's not the most important thing I came to do. So Jesus made this prediction. It made, reminded me of something. Most of you probably aren't old enough to remember this. <laughs> but how many of you have watched the Super Bowl? Everybody watched the Super Bowl, right? Well, I don't know how many of you saw the third Super Bowl. It was a long time ago, right? <laughs> uh, I was a senior in high school, and it was January of uh, uh, 69. And teams in the, I lived outside of Baltimore, and the teams in the third Super Bowl were my team, the Baltimore Colts. They were Baltimore then, okay? And they were the favor. They were supposed to win. And this upstart team called the New York Jets with a quarterback by the name of Joe Namath. And the Several days before the Super Bowl, Joe, Joe Namath guaranteed that they were going to win that game. And hardly anybody believed him except for Jet fans, some of the Jet fans, probably not all the Jet fans, but just some of the Jet fans. Certainly no Colt fans believed it was true. Sadly to say, the Jets won the game. So before the game, nobody believed him, or practically no one believed him. After the game, everybody believed him. Why? Because what he predicted came true. Jesus predicted that he was going to be crucified, he was going to be tortured and, and killed, and three days lay raised from the dead. Nobody believed it, especially on Good Friday and Saturday. It only became real on Sunday. Easter proves a couple things, and we don't have time to talk about a lot, I'm just going to pick two. 
Easter proves then that God is in control. If you can predict your death and, pull it off, and resurrection and pull it off, that proves you're in control, right? Peter tried to stop this plan. And uh, this is old adage that says, do you want to make God laugh? Do what? Tell him your plans, right? Why? Because I don't have the power to do whatever I want to do. But God has the power to do what he ever, he plans to do. So let me ask you a simple question then. How much of your life do you control? Did you control where you were born? When you were born? My sister's here. Who are your siblings going to be? <laughs> um, children that you're going to have. I mean, you chose maybe had to have children. The children you have. Uh, control the weather. I always get laugh at people that get frustrated by the weather. Right? Like you can control the weather. The stock market. The economy, your workplace, and the people that we, uh, what we try and control most is people, married people. Pretty funny, right? Spouses, children, if you have children. What do you control? Well, a, little, a few things. You control your reaction to things you can't control, right? That is uh, what we do control. But the problem is not being in control causes us to have stress, Right? I want to control this person or my kids or something else or the weather, and I can't, so it causes me stress. And I worry about these things that I can't control. And I try to, but I can't. So let me ask you kind of a personal question. What is out of control right now in your life? Is it a relationship? Is it finances? Is it health issues? something at work, something at school. What is out of control? And what can you do about it? The things are out of your control. And God cares enough about you that he wants to help you control those things you can't control. He wants to help you respond to those things in the best possible way. So, Easter proves God's in control. And secondly, it proves that God always keeps his promises. When he made this prediction, I'm going to be killed and raised in the dead on the third day, that was a promise. Easter is a promise. And the reason he told them, the reason I have to do this, is that you can be reconnected with God. Experts tell us there's like 7,000 promises in the Bible. Uh, it's kind of hard to keep 7,000 promises, isn't it? But I just wanted to talk about two. <clears throat> and one is... <clears throat> Well, first, how do you know God keeps his promises? And that's because the tomb was empty on the third day. And that was the, the most important promise, and he, he, he came, followed through, came through. Um, but as a consequence, when we enter in relationship with God, we get our sins forgiven and a promise of eternity in heaven when we die. Now, the problem is most of us aren't very excited about heaven, are we? Uh, now, I know the problem is you have to die to get there, right? <laughs> that's not very exciting. But heaven is, it's, it, we can't comprehend it. But the most exciting things you can think about earth, the most beautiful things you can think about earth, they're going to be magnified in heaven. And we think it's going to be kind of boring because the things that we find fun or exciting, we don't think are going to be there. But there are going to be things more exciting than we can imagine when we get there. The problem is, ever, you ever try and go to a, a, a popular, expensive restaurant without a reservation? What happens? 
They laugh at you. <laughs> uh, come back in about three months, maybe we can find you a table. And a lot of people approach, kind of approach heaven that way. You know, I'm going to die one day. Yeah, I know. And I hope when I get to the pearly gates, you know, they'll let me in. Well, do you have a reservation? That's basically what they're going to ask you. And we're going to tell you how to get the reservation. But without the reservation, they're not going to let you in. So how do you get to heaven? How do you get a re- re- reservation? Well, the Bible talks about it a lot, but I just want to show you one thing that Paul, who hated Jesus' followers at first and then later became one, here's how he put it. You can be made right with God. You get your reservation. You can be connected with God now and then later when you die by placing your faith in Jesus Christ. I truly believe he died for my sins and he rose from the dead. This is true for everyone who believes, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter how long you've done it, Okay. Uh, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. We all come the same way. The bad people, the good people, quote unquote, bad people, good people. We all come the same way. We're all separated from God by the, the wrong stuff we do. <clears throat> so that's how you get your reservation. But God's also interested in what you're facing now. He's prepared for after you and I die, but what you're facing now. So let me ask you another question. What are you frustrated with? What area of your life are you frustrated? It might be a work situation. It might be health. It might be finances. It might be, most likely, it's a relationship issue. Um, I'm painfully going through a, a relationship issue right now. And probably some of you are. God cares about that frustration. In fact, he cares about that hurt, that pain that's involved in there. And he's experienced everything we've experienced and worse the pain he suffered on the cross, and being separated from his father by that death, paying for our sins. So here's the way Jesus described this relationship that you and I have here on earth, or it should be. Uh, something that Jesus said in Matthew. <clears throat> he asked a question. I, just, I used the word frustrated, he, frustration. He said, are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burnt out on religion, trying to be good enough for God? And you can't be. So he says, come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. That's not real living. That's surviving. He says, you recover your life. Keep company with me and you learn to live freely and lightly. Does that describe your life? Freely and lightly? That's God's intention for your life. So God isn't interested in religion because religion isn't freely and lightly. It's a burden and you're filled with guilt and so forth, aren't you? What he desires is a relationship. So let's get back to that dialogue he had with the disciples. By the way, we'll be finished here pretty close to 12 o'clock, hopefully. Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, if you want to be connected with me, you must give up your own way and take up your cross and follow me. You must give up you know, keep trying to, trying to please me and try and keep the rules. Uh, take up your cross means take up your responsibilities, and that's what we're going to talk about the next couple of weeks. And, and just follow me, all right? Figure it out. Let's go along. He says, if you try and hang on to your life, you will lose it. It won't be lightly and freely. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be frustrating. But if you give up your life trying to do it yourself, I will save it. I'll tr- give you true life. And then he asks a really important question. <clears throat> What do you benefit if you gain the whole world? Maybe your, 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 your business is going great. 
your life's going great, your relationships, your kids are great, grandkids in my case are great, you got plenty of money, going great vacations, have a couple houses, I don't know. Your life's going great. But what if you lose your soul? And that's who you truly are, without all the stuff. Is anything worth more than your soul? Doesn't answer the question, but the answer is obvious, right? No, nothing's more worth more. So what should you, our response be? What should you do? If the soul is the most important thing, get to know God. The God that sacrificed his only son for you and for me because he loves you that much. Not know about God. Most of us know about God. We know about famous people, the president, movie stars, sports figures. We know about them. We don't know them, though, do we? So you got to get to know God, get to know him personally, get to know what he's really like. And then secondly, learn to trust him, which is connected to the first one. Because you don't know, trust people you don't know, right? We've got some new folks here today. You don't trust me. I don't I didn't trust you either, because I don't know you. Eventually, if I got to know you and you got to know me, you would make a decision, is that person trustworthy or not? Well, if and when you and I get to know God, he proves himself to be 100% trustworthy. He keeps every promise. Now, most of us, it's hard for us to trust people, isn't it? Let me just tell you about God. God knows everything about you. He even knows what you think. That's scary to me, because I don't think some nice things very <laughs> sometimes. He knows everything about you, everything you've done, everything you ever thought. And he still loves you. And he wants to have a relationship with you. That blows my mind. That's mind-boggling. But that's the God that you and I get to know. So how do you know if you're trusting God? When you stop worrying. When you're no longer a slave to fear. That's what worrying is. I put it on, your, on the screen this way. When you start Worshiping, you stop worrying. One final illustration and I'll be finished. So what are you frustrated about? What are you worried about? If you were to tell me what it is, say, I've got a pill that can solve that problem. Health issue, financial issue, relationship issue. Got it right here. And guess what? It's free. I got the solution and it's free. Has it done you any good yet? Because I've still got it and you haven't taken it. So well, everything we talked about this morning is like this pill bottle. Have you laid your love down, taken up your cross and followed Jesus? That's the solution. That's the pill. And I really like this. The only side effect... You get to spend eternity in heaven with Jesus afterward. So I'm going to pray for us all this morning. We'll have a song, then we'll let you go. Let's pray. I understand God. For a lot of us, especially skeptics like myself, some of this stuff's hard to believe. It's resurrection, that you know, it's, it's as simply as believing that I can enter into a relationship with you and 
all my sins been forgiven. I've done some bad stuff. Then it makes my life better here. And then I get to spend eternity with you in heaven afterwards. But that's the truth. God, you've proven it true. And there's been millions and millions of Jesus followers to the last 2,000 years. So God, I want to pray for each person here this morning. I know many of us are, are Jesus followers, but some of us aren't. And we probably have good reasons, and we have our doubts. But God, I would challenge them and, uh, to check you out. Just, just check it out. To investigate. To be open-minded enough. Because there's two ways we can make mistakes. Believing things that aren't true, but not believing things that are true. And just maybe the gospel is true, that you truly love all of us unconditionally, and you loved us enough to send your son to die, and then you conquered death by the empty tomb. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.